Here's what's coming up on this week's show. There are very few true inventions, I think, in this world. Someone somewhere has done it before you or something like it. But I thought it could be done better. <laughs> the Beat. Welcome to The Big Little Business Show, the podcast that helps small business think big. Hey, hey, how you doing? Welcome to The Big Little Business Show. It's Paul Mumford over here, the lovely Claire Horsley over there. And before we go any further, uh, don't forget, if you have already listened to one of our episodes in the past, or if you haven't and it's your first time, don't forget to hit subscribe or follow so you don't miss out on future episodes and go and check out some of our back episodes too. And we'd love to hear your comments. Let us know what you think about this episode, other episodes, get in touch on social media and connect with us that way too. And we'll give you all the details so you can do that right at the end of the episode. How are you doing, Claire? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm okay, although our little furry friend is becoming a bit of a pain in the neck. <laughs> I know. I could hear. I could hear her earlier, even through the microphone. So, um, yeah, she's got attitude, or he's got attitude. Whatever. Let, let, let's bring this full circle and get you up to speed. Uh, two weeks ago, my wife and I were out for a walk. We live in the middle of nowhere on a farm. We're out for a walk down the bottom of our road, and running across the road at great speed was a very, very tiny duckling, uh, which had been abandoned by its parents. Uh, we pick this duckling thing up before it gets run over. Uh, we go and look around to see if we can find mum and can't find her anywhere. I decide to bring her home and yet yeah, now we have a duck. You had a cute little duckling and now you've got an attitude duck. <laughs> the, the speed in which these things grow are astronomical. If humans grew that fast, there'd be a serious problem. Uh, so she's gone double size in two weeks. And not only that, she's gone from a baby duckling to a teenager duckling in two weeks too. So we've got all the attitude to go with it. So yeah, she's becoming a bit of a difficult house guest at the moment. <laughs> she's just full of attitude. So she's equivalent to now a teenager, I'd guess. Yeah. I would just say, if if ever you're thinking the duck might be a good idea as a pet, they are great and they are very entertaining and they, uh, they're very loving and everything, but there's a lot of poop. Uh, so an interesting episode today. This is someone we met on Clubhouse and when she told us what her business did, we thought, well, what a great idea. Mm -hmm. And almost to the point we thought, why has nobody ever thought of this before? Yes, we met Judith on Clubhouse and Judith Cook is the founder of Elba London. And Judith has created something astonishing, which is a front fastening bra, which is actually fastened by a magnet. Yeah, and we thought it'd be great to have her on, not just to find out how she did it, but how everyone else can do it. So you've invented something in your head. What do you do next? This is the Big Little Business Show. So I think a really good place to start, Judith, would be to ask you, what did you or what have you invented? I have invented a front fastening bra with a magnetic fastener. So the concept is that really makes dressing easier, stress-free dressing. So you don't have to reach behind the back, but the fastener is a patented fastener so it's a little bit different to a normal textile magnet which probably a lot of people may have seen and it has a little bit of a locking mechanism so it's not only easy but it's secure it kind of makes you wonder why hasn't nobody thought of this before it seems like such an obvious thing hmm. do you remember what you were doing when you had the idea and what sort of 
inspired it in the first place? Well, it came about through a few friends, girlfriends who happened to contact me in the same week. One, her mother had um, arthritis on set and so she needed some help with dressing. The other girlfriend had a shoulder injury and then one more was about to go for um, some surgery. So it was funny and they were all talking about dressing and saying, God, you know, bras is such a pain where you have to reach behind the back and the fiddly hook and eyes. And the girlfriend with the mother with arthritis particularly had said, you know, she'd been looking online for an easy fastening bra in the front and really there was nothing around or what was around looked very medical and wasn't really fit for purpose so she asked me to have a look um i did have a bit of background in this because i have a um son with a learning disability so i'd always been conscious of things like getting dressed and what were the priorities in his life so she knew that and i said sure i'll have a look that was the trigger. I started having a look and I was amazed that really what was out there was stuck very much in that the aesthetic was not very pleasant. It was quite medical, very old fashioned. And then the stuff that was modern had tiny little hook and eyes or what we call a slide hook, which from my own personal experience tends to get stuck in the fabric after a while. So that was the um, start of it. And I thought, oh, sure, we can do better than this. Um, and I began researching. So what types of research did you have to, to, have to do? Um, you know, where would you begin um, what types of things were you looking for, uh, you know, that you really needed to find out about before taking this further? Well, the obvious starting point was looking at what was available in the lingerie market, both in that niche I was looking at, which was, you could say, the medical, surgical, but then also looking in the wider market in, in the more fashion and high street brands. And what I really wanted to do was, was marry the both. But I didn't see that there should be any reason you couldn't have something that was functional, but also didn't have a little bit of style because, I mean, that's what anybody wants. And there's absolutely no reason why just if you have a disability or a medical need that you need to be stuck in an, a rather ugly aesthetic. So combining those two, I did that extensive research the bra design was one thing. So those elements of design in a lingerie item, so the fabrics, the elastics. But then my bigger, I feel like my USP was going to be the fastener. So then I had to start looking at all the different fasteners and accessories and what were my options. So you've come up with this great idea. You've had this brainwave. You thought, oh, wouldn't it be great if and you did this thing? Uh, and then you thought, right, okay, well, has anyone done this before? Better go check it out and do a bit of research here. So you've got your idea. You've done your research. You know there's, well, you know in your world there might be a market for it. What happens next? Well, my was quite specific as to what happened next because I was fortunate enough to be aware of a competition that the Design Council ran annually and they happened to be running it with versus arthritis so the big arthritis charity and the premise was that you design something which had a purpose could be useful and so they took me as one of, um, you sort of became a contestant in this competition, which went on for like three months. Um, so I entered that, got on that, and um, to cut a long story short, I ended up winning the competition. So then I had to go out and really solve the problem by making it. So um, you already had some awareness that somebody else was creating a similar product. Did you have to do any other checks? Are there any other you know, points that you need to 
check out to make sure that nobody else has tried to do it in the past or has done anything really similar to what you had created? Well, there would have been, except I, I mean, in my research, I was very confident that nobody had done a magnetic front fastening bra. So from that point of view, I didn't have to then go into the next stage of um, checking further. But um, yeah, I mean, that's something one always has to be very careful of. There are very few true inventions, I think, in this world. Someone somewhere has done it before you or something like it. But I thought it could be done better. And so that was my thing. And, and certainly that the fastener was something. So I think that the invention was around the fastener and the application of it. But um, that was what I found, that whilst there were magnets on other aspects of clothing, they hadn't been used on, on a bra previously. What did you do to find out if this actually works? Because at the moment, all this stuff's in your head, right? And you're thinking, oh, this is a great idea. Mm. You, you, the next stage, I guess, is going to actually sort of making the thing, actually putting it on a bra and making sure that it doesn't, your bra doesn't come apart at, at inappropriate moments. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the two main, well, three main aspects. If I look at, okay, the bra, I'm not a bra designer and lingerie design is very technical you need an expert and it's very precise and so I had to find a lingerie designer and I was very fortunate that I happened to be a lot of it's these things happen you talk to one person and she introduced me to somebody who then introduced me and I was very fortunate I was introduced to a lingerie designer who just happened again (laughs) coincidentally happened to be looking to a project which brought a little bit more meaning. She was a little bit tired of the the frilly, sexy lingerie with no purpose. So that was really fortuitous because she had a lot of experience and happened to be, I'm based in London. She happened to be based in London. So that made life very easy. So working with her on the designs, then going out and finding a manufacturer of fasteners to work together with that on. And then obviously, as you said, testing it. So, um, and that was... Partly, again, quite helpful working with the Design Council and Versus Arthritis because that gave me access to um, women specifically with arthritis. So looking at those dexterity issues and the problems of putting things on. So testing, testing, testing. So up to this point, did you come up to any sort of bumps in the road or any problems that you had to sort of work your way around? Oh, yes. I mean, making the fastener work with the bra design because, as I said, a bra is highly technical not least because of the different sizing issues that you're dealing with. So the idea, and particularly, there is a certain reason why having a back fastener gives you more adjustability. So that is part of the reason why the industry has stuck with that, albeit that keeping those fiddly hook and eyes is is not great. But the front fastener meant that the distribution of weight and sizing And then would the fasteners stay secure? Would it add the support? So all kinds of technical issues had to be worked out, yeah. So going back to what you were saying about testing um, and having it tested, what about actually the people who you were looking to target um, in terms of the market research? Did you ask or how did you go about asking people whether this would indeed be something that they'd be interested in, um, you know, exploring and how this would benefit them? Well, again, that came back to working with the Design Council and Versus Arthritis, because I had a ready market there. So I worked with Versus Arthritis in targeting. um, They had a database of women who are 
willing to test things and also on their newsletter. And so we, we just contacted them and asked if people would like to come along to a fit session, you know, sort of promoting online. For them, it was great because they could get a free sizing and um, my fit expert was, was there. So, you know, trying to make it a win-win because not everybody wants to come along and try out this strange new bra with magnets. So um, that was great because the idea was very much initially around that, that dexterity thing. So somebody who has arthritis, particularly if they've got it in their, their hands, it becomes extremely difficult, as you can imagine, fiddling with hook and eyes. Um, so, so I imagine, obviously, this is going to cost a lot of money to bring it, you know, your product alive. Um, the meetings that you're having, the research that's been undertaken. How did you fund that or is there any funding available for people who were in your shoes or are in your shoes who are maybe looking to bring a product alive? Um, I was very fortunate because I did win some funding by winning the Design Council versus Arthritis competition. So that gave me some initial funding and I pulled together some of my own savings. Um, you know, there's so many different routes that one can go down this of. There, there is various funding out there, but it's so dependent upon what you are inventing and what category you fall in. And to be honest, so much of it falls in the, the techie category these days um, that it can be quite difficult. Obviously, I've met a lot of people who've gone down the Kickstarter route, but again, you know, the advice I was always given that unless it's a significant amount, try and beg, borrow, steal from friends and family in the initial stages. And test, 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 you know, don't invest huge amounts until you've tested and have a concept that you have tested. So did your first prototype work, Judith, or did you have to go through lots of different stages before you sort of nailed it? And, oh, that's the one for me, that that, that works. No, I mean, we did go through various, um, yeah. I mean, the, the, the fastener worked pretty well, but I mean, then as I say, it's applying that to the, the actual design. So we had to go through various um, samples, which I then, and this is again, you know, the manufacturing process. I mean, I then got those samples made locally in the UK before I look to where is I going to get the actual products for the retail products made and manufactured. So you must have thought while you were going through all this process and uh, you had this great idea and you could see it all coming alive, you must have thought, wow, well, someone else is going to nick this idea if I'm not too careful. So you've got to go down the legal route. And let's talk about that for a second because it's boring, but it's necessary. If you've got a great idea, you don't want someone else to just go and steal it and claim it as their own. So what kind of advice did you get and what kind of things did you have to do to make sure that you protected your idea that they might be useful for other people who are going through this process at the moment or thinking about it? Well, I mean, the two obvious uh, are patenting and trademarking, which one has to go down to neither of which these days offer you any 100% security. But those are the routes that so it was very much around patenting the invention, if you like, or the, the fastener. Um, and then the trademarking as well. So those are the two routes that anybody has to look at very carefully. And having done a bit of trademarking myself in the past, you have to trademark, you have to have different trademark um, certifications, if you like, for different territories and for different applications as well. Then you can get, get quite expensive, can't it? Yeah, I mean, well, not to mention, I mean, patents, trademarks, as you say, yeah, different territories. And then you have to think, you have to redo your research before you, put in and apply for your patents and trademarks because a lot of the fees are non-refundable. So, you know, there's a lot that you need to look at very carefully to make sure that, that you know, you're doing 
filling in everything correctly and not making errors, which are going to cost you. Um, so yeah, it's, it's complex. I mean, I, you know, again, it comes down to what your product is, uh, but um, yeah, you need to get advice. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. So did you have someone uh, that you hired to do that for you? Because I know there are people who can sort all that f- out for you. Otherwise, it would just be a minefield to trying to learn how to do all that stuff yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, I used um, not so much for the trademarking. I think it's not as complex, depending I was uh, what I was doing. But patenting, yes, you need to get specialist advice. And, you know, I just used friends of friends. I got references from people who's gone down that route before. So you've come up with this idea. Um, you've spoken to the right people. You've won this incredible award. And now you're ready to take that product to be manufactured. What was your next step? So at that point, so you were ready to take that to market. What did you do then? I had to find a manufacturer. <laughs> so the real fun began. And how would you go about doing that? <laughs> uh, well... Again, you see, it comes to, I mean, this is a nightmare for, for so many people. And again, I was fortunate, if you like, that my designer, because she'd been, um, she'd worked, been doing some freelance work with other designs uh, that she was aware, well, she'd been in the industry for a long time as well. So she had some experience um, contact with manufacturers. So um, I started, you know, investigating, researching, talking to her recommendations and went down that route. I mean, it's worth pointing out that actually uh, what you sell is the finished product, isn't it? You don't just have the fastener made and then sell it on to other bra manufacturers or underwear manufacturers. You make a complete bra and a range of underwear based around the fastener, don't you? So that was a conscious decision though, wasn't it? I mean, what made you think that you actually wanted to go the whole hog and develop a range of underwear rather than just have the faster and sell it on to someone else? It's not that easy. Again, it comes down to the complexities of the actual um, lingerie. Plus, if you're looking at it as a long-term business and how you want to go to market, um, what sort of growth you're looking at, then you're much better off. For me, it was like, okay, we need to have our own product here. Sure, I can buy a bra from somebody and slap it on or try and slap it on, but is that really going to work? And looking at the cost implications, you know, numbers game, would that really make any sense? Um, So we decided to go the whole hog. And and also because we were looking specifically at issues around comfort and what my target market would want. So it was trying to come up with something which really thought about all those different issues, not just the functionality, but some of the other elements as well. That's really valuable bit of cl- advice there, Claire, isn't yeah. it? I mean, Judith could have gone down the easy route and just had the faster and sold it on to Marks and Spencers or something. But instead, she saw the value and saw uh, a bigger future in actually having a whole range of underwear that has this thing on. And if you want to buy this bra with this faster on, you've got to buy one from Judith. That's a really brave thing to do. But I think what, I mean, I think the clear message here, oh, no, that sounds a bit too pontificating, but... That's such a good word. Word of the day, Judith. I'm writing that down. That's good. I, I just think that, that what I was, one thing I was confident about, and I know there were many things I wasn't, but I was confident that I'd identified a gap here and a niche. And I still recognize that to a point, and I'm still thinking around this issue in the wider context as well, because there is this mass minority out there which is not being addressed 
according to whether you look at lingerie or fashion or so many items, and it's disabled population. And, you know, when you look at the numbers that are out there internationally and nationally of whether it's one in five, one in four, you can, but it's a massive minority population that cuts across gender, race, age, and their needs and problems are not being addressed. So I was very clear that, oh, there's a real problem here. Nobody's really zoning in on this. Um, And particularly when it came to, lingerie now there, there's it's interesting this this market is starting to move and i think yeah that it's going to be very interesting to see where it goes it's at the early stages but particularly in the u.s it, it's starting to move um in cl- other elements of clothing um so it'll be very very interesting i'd be really interested to know how you're from your initial idea to then bringing your product to market, what um, what types of things changed? Any ideas changed? Did things develop along the way? Can you think of anything that you know was quite a big change from your initial concept? From the initial concept, I stuck pretty true, as I said, because I was so clear, and I, it is that mantra which I always think is so true that you have to identify a problem if you're going to start go down this road. You want to set up a business and particularly if you're manufacturing, who's going to buy it? So whose problem are you trying to solve? If you're not trying to solve a problem, why is it there's no reason for anybody to buy it? Absolutely. And that's like marketing 101, isn't it? Yeah, you, you understand find the problem first and then solve it. I mean, if you've got a great idea, that's fantastic. But then the idea is no good if it doesn't solve somebody's problem. No, and, and it is a bit cliched, and, and people may come back at me and say, Oh yeah, but you know, something pretty and cute and this. And that. Yeah, okay, well, that's great. I mean, maybe people will buy it once, but, you know, are they going to buy it again? You know, it's always that repeat business that you need. So you've got to be solving something which gives people a reason to come back to you because, yeah, you've delivered exactly. But, um, you know, so I guess from that point of view, my concept was my concept, that that was the problem. And so I stuck to that um, very much so. So you've got a fastener. I mean, surely you're not going to stop there, right? You must be thinking about other applications for this. Like, I mean, the one that comes to my mind is uh, for people, I've got a friend who's got cerebral palsy. uh, So he has an absolute nightmare putting a shirt on. So if you could have a shirt with magnetic fasteners instead of buttons, surely that would be a great idea, wouldn't it? Yeah, and I I have been um, approached by quite a lot of other designers now. So I'm looking at how to grow maybe a separate business the actual fastener itself and the application of that i mean i'm looking at it myself as well but um you know there's a temptation to be all things to all people but i like to sort of suggest people that that the magnet that i have is it's kind of superior to what's out there as i say because it does have a little locking mechanism because a lot of women one of their initial things they say to me is they maybe are concerned that is the fastener going to stay fastened yeah, it's been tested extensively, but I know where they're coming from. Because if you think about it, I mean, just a regular magnet can slide. I mean, if you start moving in certain directions, it slides. However powerful, it will start to slide. But this has this terribly clever little catch. So once it's closed, it effectively is locked. But the ease of opening and closing, it's still the same as it will be for any magnet. So, so that's what makes it slightly superior to, so i.e. for different weights of fabrics and stuff, it, it can serve much better than what's currently on the market. So for the people that may be listening who have thought of an idea, but have never had the courage to maybe 
move any further forward with that um what tips would you would you give them um to maybe you know bring that idea into fruition that you know could indeed maybe make them money well my first tip would be that you do have to test i mean without the, the test i mean it would have been very tempting to start you know i had to go set through various samples and iterations of the design to make sure and to test it on a large number of, of women to make sure that it did work and that they really were happy with it and comfortable with it. Once you have the idea and uh, you've got a minimum, that was an MVP, minimal viable product, it's just then go for it. I mean, to a certain extent, get it made though. Um, and, you know, that's the other thing. I think you can have a great idea. We've all met people who've had great ideas and then just sat on it and done nothing. So there is that temptation just to test and test and test and then do absolutely nothing with it. But I think a lot of people don't know what to do next. And I certainly wouldn't know. And having and that's why I thought it was great to have you on, because that's how we find out as business owners how we can do things like this. We all have these great ideas and some business owners are really creative and have loads of great ideas. It's what you do with that idea. And I think that's the most important part, isn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree absolutely, and and as I say, it it wasn't my background, but I think that you've got to bring something to the table here. Within okay, my background wasn't lingerie, but I did have a, a business background. So although I wasn't specialist in an element of the business, I was thinking about okay. I need to put together a business plan here. I need to. What's my route to market? You know, there's something that I've got to bring some knowledge to, otherwise. Boy, it's a tall mountain to climb if you're going to not bring any experience or expertise to any elements of that because you're dependent on that. And I'm a big, you know, I'm really big on hiring people who have skills and experience that I need because you can't do everything yourself. But you do need an element of some of that expertise that you need to be able to bring. We talk about this all the time, Claire, don't we? It's one of our big things on the podcast. We've been doing this podcast for over a year now, and we've had loads of different experts on talking about lots of different facets of business. And there's commonality between uh, these experts. They come out with the same bits of advice over and over again. And you've just hit on one right there. It's don't be afraid to ask for advice and get uh, help from people who have got skill sets that you don't have because you can't be great at everything. And yes, I understand you've got to have uh, some level of knowledge uh, on the product or the um, uh, or the area of business to begin with, but yeah, you can't do everything. You can't, and as you say, and you you just ask everybody you know. I mean, I did something as crazy as you know. I, I have a I live in a neighbourhood where we have an association newsletter, so I put a call out for anybody who wanted to come along and try the bra as one does in the neighbourhood. Yeah, uh, but why not? Uh, who would believe? Who would believe that around the corner? Again, this is one of those weird facts that you know, around the corner from me was a very senior occupational therapist who worked at one of the leading hospitals, and I had no idea. I'd never met her before, and it was like, oh, this is amazing. You know, I <laughs> deal with women and X-rays. And they're always having problems with, with dressing and stuff. Um, you know, but it was only by putting yourself, you've got to put yourself out and just ask anybody and everybody. You have got to be prepared to put yourself out there, mm. that's for sure. Um, have no shame. <laughs> but, that, but, that's, but that's true, though, isn't it? Because you never know who you're going to bump into. So, yeah, if you shout loud enough, you'll get heard by the right people. I think that's really important to understand. You don't, that. But, you know, the other thing is that you say that, that, that I have met people 
who have just astonished me that they've had an idea and they have just basically just sent the patterns off to a Chinese manufacturer, never set foot. I mean, I, and I marvel at this because I mean, I used to live in Asia. So, I mean, I, I would say I know China quite well and have worked there, but they, I would never do that. Never, ever. Or maybe ignorance is bliss by not having ever been to China, but they've just sent the patterns off, started the conversation with a Chinese manufacturer and wham, bam, they've had the product manufactured and it's all worked out. And that amazes me. So, you know, it is all possible. It's, um, but you got to have your smarts about it if you're going down any of these routes because none of it's easy when you're dealing with manufacturers. That's very true. Yeah, you got to like that phrase. You got to have your smarts about you. That's good. Uh, we'll, we'll get some links from you at the end so people can come and check out your underwear. Though I didn't have another way of putting it like that, but you know what I mean. Um, so uh, that's, uh, I can't believe I've got through the whole podcast without any jokes, um, Claire. I've done quite well. You're quite impressed, aren't you? I know. I'm really surprised, actually. <laughs> I've held it yeah. back because it's a serious subject. Uh, but what is next for you then? What's, what's next on your, your your horizon? Now you've got the product out there and you've got uh, a range of, uh, yeah, of underwear that people can go and check out. What Where are you going next? Well, I'm looking to extend the underwear. So whether it's different designs or colorings, part of, part of my issue as well is what sizing I want to go to because I get constant um, inquiries about that. Um, I'm talking to a number of different avenues, actually in different countries. Um, so that will be interesting. The application, as we said, of the fastener to other elements of clothing, clothing whether I do that myself, developing the, the fastener itself into a, a separate business spin-off, if you like. And then I'm also looking at how I can um, address that wider issue of ease and stress-free dressing for people with disabilities and bringing that to a wider market. I think it's absolutely brilliant what you've done, Judith. I think it's fantastic. At the end of every um, episode, what we like to do is ask some questions which are completely unrelated to the interview uh, to find out a little bit more about you. These questions are inspired by Inside the Actors Studio. So are you ready for your questions? I am, yes. Okay. Uh, What is your favourite smell? Oh, that's really easy. Freshly ground coffee. Are you a bit of a coffee snob like me, Judith? Got to be the right sort of coffee? I used to be. I used to live in Indonesia and I used to be a partner in a coffee business. So, um, but I'm not, not freshly roasted. I hate some of the freshly roasted coffee. I don't like that, but freshly ground coffee. Um, um, yeah, it's just that amazing. When you open a coffee packet and I still to this day, it's like I never tire of that smell. And it's just that deep penetration. Oh, it's just, yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> I just, it, it's, and I love drinking. Obviously, I love coffee as well, but it's just like, it's, it's a thing in our house that nobody else is allowed to open coffee bean bags or grind coffee. It's me only. Oh, yeah, you got to, yeah, yeah, exactly. You've got to first dibs on opening the packet. I totally agree uh, yeah. with that. No, but... totally, yeah. Once it's opened, it sort of dissipates. But yeah, it's an amazing smell. So a similar question then. I mean, whether there's an accompaniment here or not, I don't know. But what's your favourite biscuit? You know, I'm not really a biscuit person. Oh, do you know what? You're the first person who said that. You can't. You must be. There must be a biscuit in there somewhere. No. I swear, to, you know, honestly, if you came to my house, I don't have a biscuit. You know what I eat instead? This is really weird. I, you know, my biscuit substitute is Welsh cakes. Oh, well, that's close. Close-ish. It's close, yeah, it's the shape of, 
it's like a soft, oh, it's almost like a cake biscuit, isn't it? But I, yeah, I always have Welsh cakes in my house. I'm, I'm, I'm originally Welsh, I, but I don't really think that has anything to do with it. I've just got a complete, uh, since they came back, and they now actually sell them. They're readily available, so you don't have to go and actually bake them, which you want, used to have to always do that because they weren't available. But no, I will always have Welsh cakes. So I just think it's my biscuit substitute. I've never had a Welsh cake. No, I can't say I have either. Really? Oh, well, you can, you can actually buy <laughs> the best ones are in M&S. Other retailers are available. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely but, done, Judy. But they are like a sort of, I, would, I mean, because they're round for one. But I mean, and they've got raisins in them, but they're almost like a sort of soft biscuit, if you like. We'll take that. But they're really good. So, um, yeah, but, but I will definitely always have a packet in the house okay if you could go back in time judith what would you say to your 10 year old self <laughs> this is such a cliche and you hear this um it's like just don't sweat the small stuff god when you think of the things that you used to get uptight about and worried about and i mean we, i guess we all see it with our own kids as well and just want to say to them no don't go there it doesn't matter that's something you really learn with age isn't it i mean yeah the, I, I totally agree with you you kind of those little things that you used to worry about as kids they just don't matter because you know when you're an adult you forget all about them yeah and even you know teens in your 20s and i mean as you say it's kind of crazy because it's something you only learn through experience isn't it but it's like god why was I what was the point of that it's crazy isn't it but yeah it's only something that comes through experience and living that experience so yeah. Judith, that's been so interesting and so inspiring to find out uh, how you did things and how you thought big right from the very beginning. I think that's the most inspiring thing from my perspective uh, is you had this great idea, but then you thought, right, OK, how can I build an empire around this one idea? And, and that's exactly what you're doing. And it's it's fantastic to hear. And I hope people listening have uh, drawn some inspiration from it and it maybe answered them some questions for them uh, if they're thinking about um, going ahead and uh, bringing an invention or something they've created um, into the market. So, yeah, brilliant. Well done. That, uh, and congratulations, Judith, for all you've done. It's, it's brilliant. So how can people come and find out about you, find out about the, uh, the business and, uh, and and check out some of your underwear? Well, the website is Elba London. So we're Elba London, which I should have said is, but Elba is able spelt backwards uh, to be oh that's genius well no i mean it's if you a lot of people oh. say elba london and it was i was trying to come up with something which was nothing to do with disability or dressing or it was just something which co- communicated you know, style or london where i'm based so um anyway but it is able to start backwards so elbalondon.com and then the the twitter handle instagram they are elbalondon this is the big little business show the podcast with bigger tips for small business one of the things well i took lots of things from what judith was talking about but the main thing for me was the courage and the bravery that is needed and i have total respect for judith from not only coming up with a concept and an idea but seeing it right through up into manufacturing and the hurdles that you have to overcome the belief in what you're doing but most importantly having the courage to fulfill that and to keep going. Um, And Judith talked about um, how identifying a problem from your target market and keeping that firmly in your mind when you're 
bringing a product alive is absolutely paramount and that's exactly what she's done yeah and the genius of the whole thing is she didn't go the easy route I mean there is no easy route uh, as she said herself um, every way of doing this uh, is fraught with problems but she wanted to go the most complicated route uh, so she actually takes ownership of not just the fastener but the thing that you put around the fastener which is the bra and if people want a front fastening bra that does what her bra does they've got to buy it from her she doesn't go to Marks and Spencers and just sell them the magnet mm. she's got the whole thing and that, that is just commendable I think that's incredible not the easy not the easy route but the best route and uh, she's proved it works yeah, and now, now she's got a sustainable business uh, that will last her uh, uh, as long as she wants it for, and she's got something that then she can sell on uh, to one of the big, bigger manufacturers or the bigger designers if that's what she wants to do in the future. But she's got a viable product from end from from, from beginning to end, and she's solved a very real problem. I can't believe no one has thought of magnets for bras in the past. I mean, it just seems like such a, an mm. obvious idea. Yeah, it sure does. I think it's probably because the practice of it but then of course as Judith says they've solved that issue by having a lock system on the magnet on the bra so yeah brilliant job done loved it and um, I'm, I'm amazed I managed to get around talking about bras for an hour without 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 any double entendre <laughs> I'm very proud of you well done I had to slip one in at the end though. you did you couldn't resist I knew it was going to get in there at some point so thank you very much to Judith for joining us you can find out more about her uh, and have a look at her entire range at elbalondon.com and uh, such a great idea and we hope it's inspired you if you've got a little idea tucked away in your brain there uh, you've at least got some good ideas of what you could do with that idea and how you can bring it out to market and maybe this is something we can bring back and uh, look at again in the future certainly talk about things like you know patenting ideas and uh, having trademarking and all those kind of things because that's a really complicated subject mm. matter. Yeah, very. Thank you to Judith for joining us and for you for joining us too. And thank you very much for all the feedback we've been getting. Uh, we know you're loving what we're doing, which is great because that means we're just going to carry on doing it. And if you have any other ideas for future episodes, maybe there's something in your business you need a bit of help with, then let us know and we'll go out and find an expert who could help with that particular problem because we're pretty sure there'll be other businesses with a similar sort of problem too. You can get a newsletter from us every Monday morning now to let you know exactly what we're doing every week when we're appearing on Clubhouse and what future episodes we've got planned and if you want to get that we only send out one email a week we don't sort of bombard you with emails you can get that by going to biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk where you can also find out all the information about this episode and all our others and that'll do it till next week say goodbye Claire bye bye You've been listening to The Big Little Business Show with Paul Mumford and Claire Horsley. You can subscribe to get the latest episodes via iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and everywhere you find your favourite podcasts. Come and find us at biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk and we're on Facebook too. Just search for Big Little Business Show.